Now, surfing the internet has become something of a modern comfort. Not quite so comfortable, though, is the thought that the Secret Service might be spying in on your computer. Welcome to Chaos Radio International, the 13th episode, 13th edition. My name is Tim Pritlov, as usual, and uh, this time I am coming from Zurich in Switzerland. And with me is Shane Coughlin. And Shane is... Hello, Shane. Hi there. Um, and Shane is part of the FSF Europe project, the Free Software Foundation Europe, which is sort of the European representative of the overall FSF project. So FSF Europe is in Switzerland now. Yes, that's correct. Um, can you tell us what the current situation of FSF Absolutely. Europe is? Okay, well, Free Software Foundation Europe is... Um, it's a it's a European organization, obviously. So we have a new office in Switzerland, and we've got offices in other locations in Europe too. We've got an office in Germany, an office in Sweden. We have representatives in countries like uh, Italy, and we've got a representative in Brussels. But we we have opened an office here in Zurich, and that office is uh, a relatively small office for the project I'm the coordinator of called the Freedom Task Force. So how, how many people are working in this office? At the moment in this office, there are three people. I'm there, there's an intern, and the president of FSFE is also based in Zurich at the moment, so he is in my office as well. So so what is FSF basically dealing dealing with? Maybe we can just describe this in a few sentences for the those who are The Free Software Foundation Europe? Yes. Well, basically, we're here to support free software, and that's software that you can use for any purpose, you can modify, you can share, and you can improve. And probably the most famous free software license is the GNU GPL. But this is not the only license you're dealing with, so it's not all about GPL? That's, that's correct. I mean, there are quite a few free software licenses. Our, our preference is naturally the GNU GPL because we think it provides the best solution. Um, and you know, when, when there are questions about other licenses, when there are questions about other aspects of software freedom, of course we deal with that. In fact, this is explicitly what my project, the Freedom Task Force, is for. We're, we're the licensing project and our explicit mission is to discuss software licensing and to explain what the licenses mean, to talk to individuals, to projects, and to businesses, and to engage with people's questions, to engage with their concerns, and to provide education. So bef before we dive a bit more into the uh, Freedom Task Force project, wh what's, what's your personal background? How did you find your, your way into FSF and, and these issues? What's your motivation? Wow. Well, um, I'm actually a linguist and political scientist by study. Um, though I've had an interest in computers since I was about 10, when I first started to play with them. When I was doing my master's degree, I was researching an aspect of net-centric warfare 
called cybernetic warfare. Um, basically, this is using communication technology in a military setting. And I was working on the academic aspects of this. And around that time, I began to get deeply involved in, in various aspects of free software, most especially security-related free software encryption systems. And I joined projects like the Enigmail OpenPGP project. So I, I fell into it that way. And of, I became interested in promoting free software as I realized its, its, its usefulness, both to me as a person and to those around me, to society in general. I joined the fellowship of Free Software Foundation Europe, and I got enthusiastic about talking to people, did quite a lot of lectures, and became more and more involved, until eventually the opportunity to lead this project came up, and I was fortunate enough to be able to embrace that. So this project is called Freedom Task Force, that also almost sounds military to me. <laughs> so I didn't think of the name. Pre pretty <laughs> offensive uh, term in a way. But so, so, so what is it about? What, what is the FTF particularly doing and, and aiming for? What's okay. the goal? Well, a lot of activity of Free Software Foundation Europe could be described as engaging with the political issues about software and uh, talking to people about why software freedom is important. My project is, is a little bit different in that my job is to deal with software licensing and to deal with the nitty-gritty of how do these free software licenses work, what do they mean to people, and to try and provide a, a great deal of education in, in that regard. Uh, we, we have a team of legal experts consisting of academics and lawyers. We have a team of technical experts and we have a, a volunteer group as well. And we, we try to work out ways to engage with software licensing proactively. People can contact us for information, we go out and engage with people, and we engage with companies to discuss how free software can benefit them and can be utilized correctly. So if you say people, we're talking about developers mainly. Yeah, there's a lot of engagement with developers. Um, there is a lot of engagement with businesses. There's a lot of engagement with people who are adopting free software, who don't fit into any other category apart from, we could say, user. So, for instance, you could have um, a, a government group that would be interested in, in discussing what these licenses mean. Sometimes people don't understand free software licenses entirely, and it's our job to help them connect the dots. Um, I am not a lawyer. Um, we do have lawyers, so we can refer people onwards to you know, get legal advice if they need it. We, we are aware of lawyers in the European arena that we can help people connect with. And we can help people access the pre-existing available knowledge about software licensing that has been generated over the last years. So that, that's our job, to be a facilitator. So if I think about licensing and probably turning mm -hmm. towards GPL, one company that immediately comes to my mind is Sun Microsystems. Right. Have you been in, in, in touch with uh, yes, Sun yes, we've recently? We've yes, 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 yes. So, um, I would describe our relationship as extremely friendly. <laughs> <laughs> so you have been also in touch with this movement of Java being brought to towards the G GPL? Well, I'm... I'm I don't exactly know how to describe it. I mean, yes, we engage with them about that. Um, I must say that Sun very actively engaged with the concept of making Java free software. And uh, it, I, 
believe it was one of those decisions that grew in the company. Uh, I must say that the the feeling that I have is that Sun decided to embrace free software wholeheartedly, uh, or at least um, to begin to do so. And I think that that was an evolutionary change, perhaps due to the fact that um, the free software has made sense for a long time. It always made sense. And Sun Microsystems realized that. Um, I wouldn't describe our, our engagement with them as, as an engagement of preaching at all. It's an engagement of discussing issues and discussing how things work. So you as with all companies. So you primarily position yourself as a discussion partner. So people if they're just like yeah. thinking about these things or considering this or that, it's a sort of a, a thought clearing house where you can just like That's bump right. in and, and just you know, get information and point us to other yeah. people that are probably absolutely. To. I mean, if you if you're looking <laughs> for information, we can help you connect with it. We might have it on hand, or we'll know who has it. And if you're just looking for a discussion, that's what we do too. You know, if you want to brainstorm. So, being FSF Europe, it's mainly interesting to European companies. So, if a European company has some kind of software product, they always thought like, oh, maybe it makes sense to go public with our source code and, and distribute it under a free license. Uh, why, why don't we just call the FSF Europe and go to the Freedom Task Force and ask them on, on how to do it, which license to choose, that kind of stuff? Well, absolutely, we can help with that. Okay. So, but we have also, well, if you're looking at the open source scene, it's also a lot about individuals and not so much uh -huh. companies. So how's your relationship to, to individual software developers in that sense? I have to say that I think it's been extremely positive. We've had a very good reaction. Um, the key thing in, in free software community development in terms of individual developers or small groups of developers is perhaps access to information and access to expertise. And we're trying to position ourselves as a, a group that can help you get the expertise you need. If we don't have it on hand, we can refer you to the people who do. Mm -hmm. And the reaction to that has been, uh, in every case I've encountered, very positive. So can you give any examples on where you have been yeah. in touch with? Yes, absolutely. Recently, um, we had engagement with um, an individual developer who was working on a, a framework for Python applications. And uh, he, he wanted to foster a community around his his software. But he, he wanted to make sure that the copyright wouldn't be fragmented. So he contacted us for help with copyright assignment. And he decided to make use of our um, assignment program, our fiduciary program, whereby his project assigns copyright to FSFE and we, we provide a kind of legal guardianship for the project. And that was one step towards him pushing his project into a larger community development and you know answering questions about how that development can take place also, also was on the table, it was what we did. So I think that was one of those very positive moments where you engage with an individual developer who wants to accomplish something. That was the Open Swarm well, project. You, you, you mentioned he was, he was worried about um, fragmenting copyright. So right. uh, I assume for like up to that point in time, he did like 99% of the work or probably 100. 100%. And, and then if he would open up the source code and invite other people, he was sort of well frightened to lose control because in the end it would be probably like go down to 90 or 80% and that the other 20% could sort of define 
where it's heading in terms of copyright. I mean, well, we have many projects where you have just too many people right. uh, taking part in the project. So whenever you want to turn around, I mean, this is an issue in the GPL version 2, version 3 discussion, uh, I guess, and probably even in, uh, other issues. So so how do you answer this? How do you write well, this? Well, in this particular case, um, basically, he wasn't worried about a control issue. He was worried about fragmentation of the copyright in management sense. So what would happen in the future if, for instance, the code was taken and there was a court case? How could he ensure that the project would be safe? Or what would happen if, for one reason or another, they, they wanted to change license? Like, say, upgrade a license. And in certain cases, you need to contact all copyright holders. And in certain cases, copyright assignment, consolidation into one copyright holder makes sense. That's what he was concerned about. In cases where people are concerned about project direction and management, um, well, that, that would be, I think, a different issue to copyright assignment. That's very much a project management issue. And that's all about having a strong goal for your project. A, a project fragments if there's no goal. And I think that's the solution there. And that's the solution I'd point people to. Examine your management structure. And uh, you know, the, the correct tool for the correct job. So it's more than just legal assistance. It's it's actually providing consulting on how to design the management of a project in a way. We can we can lend a hand with with policy, mm -hmm. but um, our our resources naturally are limited to our primary goals in general. So if if someone approached us and said, "I I think I've got a an issue with licensing," and it clearly wasn't, obviously we're going to say, "Maybe there's another solution." and we'll try to outline the possible solution. So yes, of course we'll try and help. We'll try and help with policy. And education is a very important part of what we do. But our primary focus is education and licensing. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll help people and our experts will help people where possible. But we do have a certain limit to how much we can do just because of resources. So if a thousand projects consulted us for basic policy, we'd have a serious problem in delivering that in a timely fashion. Mm -hmm. So, um, regarding the GPL, for a very long time mm -hmm. GPL was in use and there was never really a court taken, uh, a, a battle taken to court. This has happened right. uh, not too long ago, a couple of years, I think it started with the GPL violations right. project and I know you're quite close with it. So, what is your relationship and your experience with the GPL violation uh -huh. project in that context? Well, this is interesting um, because we're the licensing project of FSFE. We naturally are also involved in um, dealing with license violations. So it's not just education, we also deal with violations. And in that respect, we are actually in partnership with gplviolations.org. We're working together to try and ensure that there are long-term solutions to violations. And that means much more than just a correction of an, a single violation. It means talking about what went wrong, what policy, here we come back to policy, what policy can be put into the company to help them utilize GPL code correctly. And uh, one of the goals of the FTF is to get that long-term compliance. And we work in partnership with GPL violations using the momentum that has been garnered over the last years to accomplish that. And um, I would describe our relationship as very close. We're in constant contact and uh, productive. I mean, it, it's amazing how much can be done 
through engagement with the various parties. And this isn't a negative field. This is not a place of, of great confrontation. There have been issues with companies who refuse to comply. For instance, um, there was the issue, the court case in Germany with D-Link, that GPL violations um, well, did very well in terms of making sure the license was adhered to. There is a lot of positive engagement for companies, companies who want to be I, th I think what, what listeners probably don't understand is, well, G the GPL license was brought up by Richard mm -hmm. Stallman and in that sense with the Free Software Foundation. So many people would expect that whenever somebody is actually violating this license right. by producing software and not sharing source code and violating other uh, parts of this of this license, it would be the FSF who has to go for this. Mm -hmm. But this is not the case simply because it's always the copyright holder who yes. has to answer. So that's why uh, GPA violations was brought up in the, in the first sense by Harald Welte because it was his code that was yes. actually violated in that case the uh, net filter uh, code the networking code of the linux so but but you have already uh, mentioned this uh, fiduciary service mm -hmm. or um, well how could you we could also talk of a trustee or yep we can turn it into english too <laughs> term can, can you explain what what this is about because mm -hmm. this is sort of a path where this can move okay to. as you said the only person who can enforce copyright or fix a violation is the copyright holder One problem is that sometimes copyright can be extremely fragmented. To deal with that, one, one avenue of dealing with that is, is copyright consolidation, where every person who holds copyright on XYZ project assigns their copyright, consolidates it into a single party, and that makes it very convenient for protecting the code. It makes it very clear who can protect it. And it carries a lot of weight if 100% of the copyright holder is, uh, you know, is there in the court. So we are trying to encourage people to um, feel comfortable with copyright assignment. And one aspect of that is to produce a, a document to provide copyright assignment in different legal traditions. This is called the Fiduciary License Agreement or the FLA, as we call it. The FLA is a document designed to work in common law and civil law countries. In other words, it can work in the United States and it can work in Germany. And it provides a way for people who write code to assign their copyright or the uh, exclusive distribution license in Germany to a single entity. And that allows you to reduce fragmentation in some projects where you have, say, 40 contributors and you have, let's say, a foundation representing the project, you could consolidate the copyright to the foundation. So or you can assign it to us. We, we by, have by doing what? What is the legal step I have to take? Because right. in, in Germany, <coughs> uh, there's uh, Urheberrecht, which sort of, well, basically says that this is a right you just can't hand over to mm -hmm. somebody else. Absolutely. Well, yes, yeah, um, you're talking about authorship. Um, in authorship, you have the, the right of the author to be identified as the author. And then right. there's also the commercial exploitation rights. You can assign the commercial exploitation rights or the exploitation rights, but not the right of the author to be identified as the author. So that's what you do with <coughs> the FLA, you're yeah, passing the... The exploitation rights. Okay. So that's how it works in a country like Germany. But in a country like America, you can assign all the rights. 
which has always been part of the copyright system. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that's a problem would be that if you take, say, a, an American copyright assignment and try to use it in Germany, that's not necessarily going to work. Mm -hmm. But with the FLA, it's designed for both types of legal system. I see. So it's designed with that in mind. You're so it's sort of wrapping the differences yeah. of the legal systems as well. At, at in the simplest way, it says if your legal system is this way, this is transferred, and if it's the other way, this is transferred. And it, it, it's, it's basically something that was drafted with quite a few... It's, it's been around for several years, the FLA. Um, and it's just that we're releasing it in a certain way now to allow people to customize it if they want to. So, so who is this <coughs> exploitation right then given to? Is it the FSF or is it any other now this organization? Is, yeah, this is the interesting part. You have two options, really. One option is to apply to be part of the FSFE fiduciary program. That's where you give us the copyright. When you do that, we will look after the copyright uh, for you. And that means we can act as your kind of legal guardian. Mm -hmm. But we have a strict policy that if you do that, we're not going to interfere in project management. You know, we're not going to be saying what you're going to do. Yeah, sure. That's a very important thing, I think, to make sure that um, people have that option. The other thing you can do with the FLA is you can actually customize the document to assign the copyright to any third party. So that if you want to, you can assign the copyright to you know, a, a foundation representing a project or something like that. You Which many projects option. already have. Precisely. Like the Apache yeah. project and so on. They've already got a foundation. Um, and it, it's really a question of what, what suits you. What do you want? What resources do you want to allocate to this? I mean, if, if it's a case of a project without, uh, let's say, access to lawyers, they might want us to do their copyright because we have um, access to lawyers and we have that there we've got the infrastructure but if it's a project with a strong setup that really wants to make sure that they're maintaining their own copyright well that's what the license can do that's what it's there for okay, so uh, what, what's the, the the practical um consequence here so mm -hmm. I, I have a project let's right. let's stick to this python framework developer okay. so he's opening up the project and he's gathering a lot of 10 developers who right. really want to work on this is it that he says that if you want to use this code, you have to sign this FLA mm -hmm. because otherwise it wouldn't work? No. What he would say is that if you want to be part of the project, if you want to be part of the commit access to the CVS or whatever, first you need to sign the FLA. Uh -huh. of, of course, the code is GPL. Yeah, that's what I, what I mean. Uh, I could just uh, take it and do no. whatever I want. Yeah, you can. And the FLA is, is not about licensing the code at all. This is a copyright assignment. The FLA is about assigning the copyright to a single entity. It doesn't affect your freedom to use the code in any form. It would be about project, I suppose project management in that sense of the copyright. And that would purely be... Uh, something that you could control by saying, if you want to be part of the Open Swarm project, committing to the CVS, we need you to sign the FLA first, because that's how we keep our copyright coherent. That's how we make sure that we can avoid problems with fragmentation. So what do you prefer? People signing over these rights to the FSF or starting their own foundation? I mean, in the end, you could right. end up with a lot of lot of code <laughs> to be responsible for. That's very true. Um, if you want to assign code to the FSFE, we have criteria for accepting. We don't... Like what? Oh, the criteria are basically that the software would contribute 
positively to the free software ecosystem. So maybe it would be something new, something that helps free software infrastructure. Or, or something established already. Yeah, mm -hmm. precisely. I mean, I if you made an identical clone of GCC, let's say, and then we'd, we'd have to kind of think, well, you know, there is one that does exactly that. And we'd have to think how, how many how much resources would go into protecting this and looking after the code and versus the result of the software. So we have a, a decision-making process based on resources and so on, where we just basically say, yeah, we can't take everything. We'll, we will try to take every project that we, we can protect, but we can't take everything because there's a limit to how much can be managed. Um, when it comes to preference, assignment to us or a consolidation for yourself or a decision to consolidate at all. This is very much the project's decision. I mean, copyright consolidation is not for every project. It, it just isn't. So let's imagine we have established a new, uh -huh. this new project and right. it's got its own, uh, well, no, in this, this case it doesn't have its own foundation. So they basically pass it over to, to the FSFE. Right. And FSFE happily accepts it because it's something groundbreaking that everybody wants to have. And now something happens. So right. company is taking the code, putting okay. it into their uh, products, distributing them without mm -hmm. distributing the software as, as such with so, so what would happen then if a company would do this? Well, in short, uh, we'd contact them and tell them to stop. And because we'd have the copyright, we would be the people who are legally able to do that very effectively. But the developers would have you know, come up with these issues or are, do you have your own scouts <laughs> looking for these? I mean, yeah, somebody I has to do the an I gotta say analysis of this. Yeah, well, we've, we've, we've got the people to do analysis in terms of, you know, is this a violation? Um, and we have an amazing community. I'm talking about the entire free software community in terms of reporting things. When people see something is out of order, they, they tend to tell someone about it. They might tell FSF in the US. They, they might tell us. They might tell someone else. There are a lot of people watching. So it's, it's quite amazing how much our community sticks together in trying to make sure everyone plays fair. So is this FLA, is it something that is only done in Europe or is it just starting? Is it a European idea that's being developed here it's and now it's trying to move worldwide? Well, it, it's an international idea that in, was initiated in Europe. I mean, this is a document that can apply in, in an awful lot of countries. So it's, it's a document which can really go a long way. And the idea is that uh, projects that need it can look at it. I, if people are looking for a, a copyright assignment, here's one that was built by quite a few people who know quite a lot about the law. And it's something that could be utilized if people are going down the copyright assignment route. I, there's no reason that it could only be utilized in Europe. It can go worldwide. So, I so you, you you said you consider this to be a new new tool, especially for for big projects. Mm -hmm. What is so? What what is the scale? Since from what size on would you oh, uh, advise projects to come up with their own foundation or what wow. is it like? That's that's. I mean, I'd, I'd love to be able to give a, a sensible answer to that, but the thing is that it really depends on each project. I mean, you could have a project with a handful of members that has certain goals that would mean that having a foundation and a very strong, coherent copyright makes sense. Or you could have a large project that just does not need 
to consolidate its copyright. Well, what's the type of projects? I mean, we, we've seen that, that networking equipment is right. sort of very much prone to using yeah. GPL software. Uh -huh. What are other battlefields? Oh, is it all about networking if it's right now? It, well, if we're talking about violations, I mean, if you're producing... If you're producing code for networking, of course, that's that's an area that could be used. Um, <laughs> if we go down to the kernel level, that's something that would often be taken. And any s type of code that delivers system services could potentially be taken into a network device. I mean, I'd love to say that it's a narrow definition, but as network devices grow in their scope, as we see these utilities become increasingly powerful, increasingly like complete computers, a, l a lot of projects could be vulnerable in terms of code being taken. That's not to say that copyright consolidation will provide a magic wand for curing that. It won't. I mean, copyright consolidation can provide a very good avenue for make sh making sure that you have 100% of the copyright right there when you need it. That doesn't mean it will fix violations. But it will make... It going it after these yeah. violations much easier. It definitely would help. So, what are your what are the long term goals of the Freedom Task Force mm -hmm. in in particular? And is there any any other things that um, you have in mind when you well planning for the future? Right. So now this FLA stuff is coming up. We had the license enforcement pretty much tied to this. Um, so any other things that you are looking yeah. forward to do, to develop? When it comes down to it, what we're really after is ensuring that people can understand free software licenses and that everyone plays fair in the free software world. Ideally, we would like to open up more and more dialogues with people to discuss positive cooperation and to build networks of trust, to make sure companies, individual developers, projects, everyone can interact on a fair level playing field. And our long-term goal is to help accomplish that. So the FTF is there to help with licensing and to make sure it's all fair. And that's that's the long term. So so who is helping the FSF Europe helping others? What are the the financial What's the financial situation? Where's the money coming from right. in order to allow you to do what you want to do? Well, most of F um, FSFE's funding comes from individual contributors and people who support free software. The FTF has... Is specifically donations to FSF Europe? Or is it like the whole pool of FSF worldwide? The, the money is not pooled between the organizations. Finances are separate. So FSF, FSFE, FSFLA, um, FSFI all have separate finances. So I it's only in Europe that we would get donations, or uh, how will I put it, we get donations for the U European Free Software Foundation Europe, generally through European free software supporters. We do have supporters elsewhere who also donate. But basically our money comes from our supporters. So is it individual people doing donations on a one-time basis? Or is there any kind of membership that people can apply for in order to support it on a long term? There's an ongoing thing called the Fellowship of Free Software Foundation Europe, where people contribute a sum of money every year and they become part of our fellowship. We have kind of a a website where people blog, a community blogging site and interaction site. And it's it's basically our, our club of direct 
supporters, people who really want to back us and maybe who want to stick by us in the long term and who want to contribute actively to what we do, who want to help talk, who want to help educate people in free software. And that's at fsfe.org. The fellowship is, is the name of it. And that's a very strong part of our, our background, not just financial, but in terms of our community strength. FSFE.org. That's correct. And then there's also the FSFEurope.org homepage That's of the, the project itself. Yes. So what kind of uh, information could people find there? Uh, on my list, I have the GPL compliance checklist. This is also part of the website. What What is this about? Oh, okay. The GPL, uh, GNU GPL compliance checklist is, is a document that's being created as part of the FTF activity. And it's it's containing basic information about GPL compliance. And it's being created uh, in conjunction with gplviolations.org to provide a very simple, very clear list of some simple principles of compliance. It's basically um, something to help, especially companies, for instance, understand that, yes, you need to do these things to be compliant. So this is helpful for companies to make sure that they are using GPL yeah. properly, but also to see the, the options they have. And if they have questions, they can... They can just contact us. They can just contact uh, you on all these contact information is also on fsfeurope.org. So I think we've covered most of the stuff. Uh, I guess there are a lot more issues to talk about, but we have to make an end sometime so we do it now thank you very much shane thank for joining for, for this podcast and so this is uh yeah number 13 or uh, 13th episode of chaos radio international you can find information on our podcast at chaosradio.ccc.org we have other uh, podcasts as well video podcasts and german speaking podcasts like our monthly radio show chaos radio so uh hope to be able to speak to all of you soon. Thanks again, Shane, and uh, I say goodbye. <laughs>